This is Advisor 3.0, a show designed to help you as a financial advisor elevate your professional practice, transform your clients' lives, and take your business to the next level. I am Abraham Okusoya. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. My guest today started his career as a nightclub DJ and promoter, but that wasn't fun enough. He gave it all up to become not just a chartered financial planner, but a fellow of the uh, Personal Finance Institute and the director of a financial planning business. Uh, is none other than Sean McDermott, who is the director of Lightside Financial Planning. Sean, welcome to the podcast. We're really glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Abraham. All right. So for the purpose of, um, you know, just a, a background, give us a sense of the of the journey that brought you into into the profession. Yeah, so it's I've tried and keep it fairly short because I suppose it's where do we start? You've mentioned about the DJing and the promoting. That was kind of a, a bit of a side hustle type thing. I suppose How did we you go get right into back. that? How did you get into that? Yeah, I was just a keen clubber. I started DJing. And I just thought, what, 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 what's the best way to be DJing out in public? And then I started right. DJing, put my own club notes on, inviting uh, DJs over from America, how, um, house music DJs from Chicago. So it was only it started as a Thursday Thursday night, um, and then it moved on to a Friday. Only did it for about a year, about twelve months. But I was promoting it between other jobs and going around Liverpool city centre, dropping off flyers in in all the record shops, putting up posters. Huh. Other club promoters were, were removing the flyers. I was putting them back in. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a really good time, really enjoyable time. How old are you? Many were years you at ago the time? now. How old were you at the time? Oh, it's hard to think. I think probably about 20, I'd say about 25 maybe. Wow. Incredible. Yeah, Incredible. so it was, a, it was an enjoyable time. It was just putting parties on for, for friends and then a few other friends and then their friends came and a few students came along. And as it got bigger, it went from a Thursday night to a Friday night. But yeah, it was a it was a good time. So it wasn't fun enough. You decided you'd do something more exciting and, and go into financial services or what? Yeah, well, I think I was already in financial services at that point. So if I kind of go right. back to kind of where it all began is ultimately my first job, even when I was in school, was selling double glazing over the phone. <laughs> so I think with the age of, must have been the age of 16 or, or over. So literally five minutes from where I lived, it was like a small, like a, a 5 p.m. till 9 p.m. evening work, just basically like going through the phone book, um, literally just cold calling people through the phone book, seeing if anybody would like to buy double glazing. If they didn't want double, double glazing, you had to objection handle to say, well, how about a porch or a patio? And then if they said <laughs> no, it, it, it was a line through the page, line through the name, and you'd ring on the next one. So right. very, very uh, soul-destroying job. And mm. you'd spend a four-hour shift. You'd be lucky if you got one person who was interested. So mm. I think that really set me up, that level of resilience. I did My first two jobs were cold calling, cold calling sales jobs, selling double glazing, just trying to book appointments in. From there, also whilst I was in school and whilst I was in college, I started working at Littlewoods. Right. So I worked for Littlewoods, which basically oh. just doing the, um, the catalogue company, taking phone orders and then dealing queries. That was a weekend job. And I did a bit of overtime. Um, from Littlewoods, I then obviously moved on to uh, Santander. It was Abbey National at the time. So that was inbound calls rather than um, inbound calls for people who wanted to take out home insurance, either home or motor insurance. And that was probably where the financial services side began because I'd done some sales jobs. When I was doing the Abbey National or Santander um, in, in, inbound uh, sales job, as people were ringing in, they just said, I'd like a quote for home or motor insurance. You'd give them a quote over the phone. A lot of the other advisors who worked in the call center, they've just kind of given the quote and wouldn't really think anything of it. I'd right. be very proactive and I'd say, oh, is that the cheapest quote you've got? Um, it, do you mind if I give you a call back after you've had all your other quotes? And because I actually actively rang clients back or customers back, I, I got a lot more sales. I think I was like probably the top salesperson in the, in the, in the call center for like multiple occasions, like I think about three to six months. They didn't pay a bonus scheme. So what they did provide was, I think it was PlayStation 2s at the time. So I think I got about <laughs> two or three PlayStation 2s. Then they said, do you want something different? So I got DJ headphones. 
Then they were giving me vouchers for clothes shops. And I, I soon got wise to it because it was a part-time job. And I thought to myself, hang on a minute, I'm quite good at this sales side of things. So maybe mm. I, should, I should have a try at something else. It was, it was time for me to go full-time. So then I left, I left the call center and I worked for a company called HFC Bank. So HFC oh. Bank, if you're not aware of them, they were the connected bank to the, the finance for the likes of PC World, Curry's. Right. Right. Um, and again, there was cold calling involved. You'd have to ring a client who took out a, um, a finance agreement in Curry's PC World mm. for a TV or for a PC. You'd ring them up and you'd say, oh, your finance agreement's due to expire. You're going to be charged interest if you don't pay it off before a certain date. Then what we do is when we're on the phone, we'd say, oh, what, if you are eligible for a loan, would you consider taking out a loan to pay off the finance agreement? And by the way, do you have any other credit cards or do you have any interest in any other, any other um, loan needs? So any home improvements, a new car? So ultimately, it was a bank that sold uh, loans, quite a high rate of interest. I think they were averaging about 18 to 24%. Mm. There was a lot of payment protection insurance sold on, on those loans. And you also had to sell, sell an additional insurance on there called speciality insurance, which was things like accident cover, critical illness cover. So it wasn't regulated stuff. It was all kinds of your, your general right. insurance. General insurance. Mm. We all know how it ended up with PPI. Mm. So obviously, uh, <laughs> that was at a stage where a lot of loans we were targeted to sell PPI on the actual loan itself. I was there, I think, for about maybe four or five, maybe three or four years, potentially. I then decided it was time to move on, and I moved across to Lloyd's TSB Bank. So I moved across to a much more reputable bank. And I remember um, my manager at the time saying, you'll be surprised at how good you are when you go to Lloyd's TSB. Mm. The culture was totally different. All of the customers were warm. They were walking into the bank. So suddenly selling a customer a loan who actually wanted the loan, mm. who'd actually come into the branch, I didn't have to do any cold calling. It was um, advising on uh, added value accounts, loans, credit cards, working behind the, um, the cashiers, helping them to give referrals. And that's probably kind of where it all started, that journey right through to Lloyd's TSB. Again, I was always successful, one of the top performers in the sales side of things. And then, again, one of the, the area managers said, are you interested in doing your exams to become a financial advisor within, within bank assurance? Mm -hmm. So they paid for all my exams. They, I think they were the CF1 to 5. They weren't the uh, FPC. They were the ones after FPC. So I got all my level 3 qualifications. Um, got signed off of basically was allocated into the Southport branch, which was a which was a flagship branch. It was myself and another advisor working in there, and then and then redundancy came. It was just before RDR, oh. and obviously with RDR approaching, the bank decided to make all of the advisors redundant or the option to stay as a protection only advisor. So my view was I always wanted to be an IFA. The opportunity was there to take a, a decent redundancy package. I kind of thought to myself, do you know what? Do I want to stay and do protection? Do I want to go and have a go be, uh, in the open world of obviously um, financial planning? So I left, and this is where the, the journey then continued. Once I'd left the bank, um, I was on garden leave for so long, and I'd looked around, and, I, and I, I decided to join St. James's Place. So I know you're not a big fan of St. James's Place, and I didn't last there long. I was there for about six months because um, ultimately the culture didn't fit with me. The charges weren't too high. Uh, the charges were too high. It just something didn't feel right. So the six months I was there, I realized they took me on as, a, as a, um, I think they call it an associate director or whatever they call it. So it was my own business within St. James's Place. I'd never run a business before. Mm. I didn't have any clients because all the clients were still in, in the bank, in Lloyd's TSB. I'd never advised on pensions or inheritance tax planning. I'd only done investments and protection in Lloyd's TSB. Never dealt with any high net worth clients. I'd never done any networking. So that was a really, really big challenge for me. I think had they have put me into a, a branch, a St. James's Place branch, uh, with a bit of support, it might have been different. Mm. But because they took me on as an associate director, obviously it didn't really work out. And I, and I didn't really feel too comfortable with the culture. So that was probably the biggest learning curve and probably the biggest challenge that I had. Now, the lesson that I, 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 I learned from joining St. James's Place was, OK, I needed to take a big step back. Because I was on quite a high salary at Lloyd's TSB, I think it was on about a £63,000 basic salary at Lloyd's mm. TSB back in 2013. Mm. Then I went self-employed at St. James's Place where I struggled. I then took a, a backwards step and became an IFA. I joined a firm over in, in Heswell on the Wirral. It was a firm called Broadleaf Financial Services. So I joined them and it was a much lower basic salary. I suddenly realised I needed to be uh, in, around a support network. The director there was helped me with some clients, helped me support, uh, with some additional exam support. So I was there, I think, for about two, two and a half years at Broadleaf. 
So that was really useful for me to kind of really learn the IFA industry, really kind of almost um, swallow swallow me pride a little bit and kind of <laughs> challenge the ego and go okay. The other thing that, that that's relevant at this point is I've done the, the my diploma through the LIBF. Um, ah. I don't know what it was called. I think it was the IFS at the time. It, it was London, yeah, yeah, London Banking, yes, and uh, yeah, Institute of. I can't remember what it's called. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, so because I did the diploma through them, that diploma is for, for, for many people is classed as less technical. So it was the mm. equivalent of R01. Mm. Then it was the equivalent of there was a piece of coursework, and then the final part of it was like a report writing exercise. So it was a much easier route to get to level four diploma. So when I became an IFA, I suddenly realized I had big knowledge gaps. I decided, okay, I didn't have any clients, didn't, didn't have any, I had big knowledge gaps, didn't really know where to find any clients. And then ultimately what I decided to do was do some more exams. So I went back down the CII route, started doing some of the ROs, started with the AF, the advanced qualifications. I actually started with AF3, the advanced pension transfer uh, qualification, because this was around 2015 when pension freedom came about. Mm. And it made complete sense to just be a more rounded, more experienced uh, pension advisor. A lot of drawdown uh, cases. The firm that I was at did advise on uh, defined benefit transfers at the time. So it made sense for the first advanced qualification to be the AF3. So I continued on that journey. And in a short space of time, or a fairly short space of time, I was, I was writing decent levels of business. I think maybe around about 250 grand worth of revenue, including recurring income. And I thought, okay, is now now maybe is the time to kind of set up on my own and go self-employed, maybe start earning a, a bigger proportion of the fees that are generated. So there's a company in Warrington uh, at the time they were called LJ Financial Planning. They're a, they're a small network, really, really good company. I think they've changed to Corbell Partners now. Yes. So I joined them as, a, as an RI. Mm. I don't know if you know the guys there, but I joined them yes. as an RI. And then within about three to six months, made the decision to become an, an AR, an appointed rep, because mm. I wanted to have my own branding. And this is where SMC Financial Services was born. So Lightside wasn't born at this stage, but SMC Financial Services, which is my initials. Which Sean is McDermott. Sean McDermott. <laughs> right, carry on, yeah, sorry. So, yeah. so, so we went with SMC Financial Services as the company name. We opened a small office in Crosby. This was in, um, yeah, about 2017. We incorporated the limited company. When is an AR? 2017. SMC Financial Services was born, and then we started on this journey. But because we were still under the network, they obviously provided support with para planning, with administration, with compliance, with templates. They took a chunk of the fees, whether it might have been 20% or whatever it worked out at the time. So again, that kind of journey had a bit of, a, had a bit of an end point because I thought, oh, ideally, the ultimate goal was to be an IFA, but then to become a directly authorized IFA. Hmm. So I think, I think I made the decision around about January 2009 that we approached Simply Biz, we, we applied to the FCA, wasn't even sure kind of what, what the process was. And 19, how hard or difficult you mean, it would be. sorry. Yeah, so Nine. I think it was about January 2019, yeah. we, beca- we became a directly authorized business. So we left the network, everything was completely on our own. We were still with Simply Biz for compliance, for, for support, and then we were still in the same office. And Lightside Financial Planning wasn't born until about March 2020. So we went directly authorized. We then hit the pandemic, I think, which was in March 2020. It was during the pandemic that we, 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 we qualified for chartered status because the company has to be trading for three years. You have to have 50% of the board who are chartered. Mm. 50% of your advisors need to be chartered. So we then applied for corporate chartered status. During that period of the pandemic, we had obviously a lot of time on our hands, as I'm sure many people did. <laughs> I was probably the only person in the office. We had some guys at home. We had some people um, on furlough. And ultimately, we were still generating a little bit of business. But with all that time on, on our hands, I was thinking to myself, okay, what, what, what can we do? Well, how can we reinvent ourselves? Or how can we elevate ourselves uh, during this period? We had money in the bank. We had a lot of retained profits. And we decided what we wanted to do was create a brochure for our clients to say, great news, everyone, we're chartered. I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, but the company's mm-hmm. now chartered. We're still here. You can rely on us as soon as things get back to normal. And we approached a couple of marketing companies or a couple of branding companies because uh, the one that we spoke to was a company called No Camo. Really, really, um, really bold marketing company. We're really big on kind of let's let's get you to really stand out. Let's really kind of make a big difference of how you look. So when we spoke to the uh, the guy called Ian, he was the director of No Camo. He basically said to us, well, we charge a flat fee. We won't just do you a brochure. The thing we look at, we charge a flat fee, it was quite expensive. 
He said, we'll look at your current brand. We'll look at your competition. We'll look at everything you do. We'll speak to some of your clients. And then we'll probably come up with some kind of suggestion of almost like reinvent the company. So it was really interesting. And as they started, they kind of, the, the, the first stage was, um, I think it was called Unhide. So let's unhide SMC Financial Services. Mm. And what they looked at, they looked at our website, they looked at our brand, and they looked at the competition. And they said, right, first thing is you look and sound like everyone else. Your website was navy blue with a bit of green in there with, with men with suits on. You called SMC Financial Services. It's either usually initials or someone else's name. He says, you just look and sound the same as everybody else in the area. So he said, and we've spoken to your clients and your clients said, oh, Sean's great. He's like our son coming to visit us. He can't do more than enough. He says, what your website shows and what your clients say were two very, very different things. So then so that was the first part of the journey. They then said, okay, what's the problem that we've got in financial services? What's the problem that we need to fix? We know you're looking sound the same as everyone else and you want to stand out and you want to be different. That's the problem one. Second problem is only one in 10 people take financial advice. Mm. That, that figure might be different now, but we can't say, okay, so why do, why do only one in 10 people take financial advice? So lack of trust, feeling anxious, um, previous scams, charges are too high, performance is poor. A million and one reasons of why, why clients don't take financial advice. So they used that as a kind of a way in of, of why Lightside was born. They came up with three concepts to say, okay, we know what we know you look and sound like everyone else. We need to make you look different. We know why people don't take financial advice. We know what you're good at. How do we then create that into a brand? So it was a little bit of a tongue in cheek. And Lightside is ultimately kind of saying most of the industry is the dark side or the old, <laughs> the old. And this is the old school view of it. So no, it's a little bit of a tongue in cheek. And, and I knew you'd like this because I think you're very, very similar. I think it's why we kind of get on. But it kind of said the old perception of financial advisors in the industry is the dark side. Mm. So come, and, come over to see us and trust us. We're the light side. So that's where it kind of came from. But to be light side, everything had to match up. So in all the branding, it's like no rogues and brogues. We dropped the suits. We kind of were more transparent than ever with our charges. We offered two free meetings instead of one free meeting. Everything we did had to kind of reflect on, okay, if we're going to be called light side and we're going to say that we're the good guys, everything we needed to do in our brand, in our values, in our behaviors, in our training, everything had to revolve and had to link back to if we're the good guys, we really need to kind of do and say what we say we're going to do. So that's where light side was born. Um, and obviously the, the strap lines fear free financial planning, as you probably know. And the fear-free financial plan is kind of going, okay, if only one in 10 people will take advice, what have we got to do to get the other nine people to at least engage with an advisor? Okay, well, we need to remove the boundaries. We need to make a bit more down-to-earth. We need to make it a bit more friendly. We need to be more transparent on fees. We need to show clients that we add value as soon as possible and really kind of highlight where that value comes from. So it, it, that was kind of the journey that we went on. It's a continuous journey. Um, and here we are. Here we are today, kind of. Still a charter business. We, we did the program with Michelle Hoskin, the two-year WOW program, which we um, we qualified last year. So we've got the British standards in operations and management. Myself and a previous advisor did the, the ISO 52 standards. I think there was a previous article that said, for us, we're always looking to how we can get better. If there was, a, if there was uh, almost imagine like a Michelin star, if there was a second Michelin star or a third Michelin star, we'd be wanting to go for it. <laughs> but when we had chartered status, like, well, what was next? So then we found Michelle and we said to Michelle, listen, we want to raise our standards again. What do we need to do? And she said, oh, you've come to the right place. We can do this, uh, the British Standards and Operations and Management. Your advisors can go through the ISO 52 standards. And then let's, it's just a continual improvement journey for us. Wow. Wow. Uh, I, am, I am completely blown away, Sean, by, by the journey. Just incredible uh, journey that you've, you've been on. Uh, so thank thank you for being uh, so generous sharing sharing the journey. I just want to uh, get get the timeline, uh, understand the, the timeline a, a little bit uh, more. So you you joined the the bank as you know as a, a customer advisor. I think it was called. Yeah. When was that? It was in two thousand and eight. Thereabouts. Um, is this Lloyd's TSB? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Lloyd's just be as a personal banking manager. Yeah, it must be about 2008, I would say. Right. And then you became a financial advisor within Lloyd's in 2011? I'd say it was probably 2000. 
know about 2013. It was quite late on. Oh, so wow. I don't so, know anything. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. So I don't know anything that was pre-RDR. So right. all I know is to, so 2013 was probably a year before RDR came. Right. And yeah. with the bank, it was um again, I think it was it was commission on protection policies. Right. But for investments, I think they did it as a percentage figure. I can't quite remember how they did it. Huh. But ultimately I've got no kind of in the whole of market space, I don't know anything yeah. pre the RDR. I only know right. a year in bank assurance, and then I hit the SJP and the IFA market in 2014 onwards. It's fascinating that you, so you became an advisor at, at Lloyd's just about the time, a year later or so, they packed the old yeah. thing because RDR came in. Right, fascinating. And then yeah. you took that detour into SJP. Now, you know, people say I critic I don't like SJP or I criticize SJP. I'm just saying things the way I see. There's a lot of good things, as I, as I admitted yeah. in, a, in a previous podcast, an article to take. One of them, I thought, was the, the training academy. It might have changed a lot since you joined now, yeah. Uh, yeah. 10 years ago. It might have Im Im improved, but you, you took that detour, which wasn't a particularly positive experience for you, I'm, I'm taking it. Yeah, no, I suppose so. I think, as I said before, I, I struggled a little bit and it was a little bit mm. of a to swallow me pride and kind of go, because I suppose I'd gone from being one of the top performing sellers or advisors. Yes, big wig within banking. Yes, yeah. within yeah. banking. Yeah, so then it's St. James's Place. They give you like a bit of a loan, I think, for the first nine months, which was negotiated, but it was an income you had to pay back. And yeah. while I was trying to build the client bank, it was really difficult. But you're right, they've got the academy now the marketing, the brand, and the support they've got there is great. But I just thought for me, it just wasn't the right culture. It wasn't, it wasn't I didn't get the right level of support. Obviously, mm. I, didn't, I didn't fully buy into their, uh, the, the restriction Obviously. of their product. I think for me, I'm very much a, okay, I, I'll do my research and do my due diligence. And I was frustrated with myself, really, that when I kind of started in the journey of St. James's Place, I kind of was in and like, I could come back in next week, but bring us a business plan. And they wired me a little bit. And I yeah. think I got a little bit caught up with, they took me down to Claridge's, they, um, took me down, <laughs> they, they had like a one week training thing, which is all like a big sales pitch. And, I, and there was a part of me in my gut that was ignoring. There was a part of me saying, this isn't the right company for you. But I'd seen that many other companies and they were all self-employed offerings. So yeah. I spoke to True Potential. I spoke to LJ, the network that I went with. I spoke to Positive Solutions. I spoke to all these, these other companies and they were all self-employed. But with St. James's Place, they're like, well, we'll give you an income for the first nine months. We'll promise you this. You can come and use the Liverpool office. There's other advice you can work off. And none of it really kind of came to fruition. So I thought, ideally, I need an employee's advisory role. I need to go yeah. and work in a practice where there's a good team around me. They've, they've been there, done that. I knew I had the, the sales skills, which I know sales is a bit of a dirty word uh, these mm. days. But ultimately, you're selling yourself. You're selling your, your, your personality, your relationship. You're selling even the fact for a client to trust you. I knew my sales ability and my relationship building skills were good. I mm. just needed to understand more about the technical side, pensions, how the IFA world worked, how you researched the whole of the market and then filtered it all down. Mm. All these things were totally new to me, and I just needed to be in, in the right firm to support me at the time. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And um, so so what did you do with the loan? Did you, six months in, you paid the SJP loan back? or, or... Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I had the, luckily I had my redundancy. I had the savings, so oh, I had yeah, the money to did. pay them back. So I ended you up did. paying that back within the six after the six months, and it was all kind of yeah, sign the contract, off your pop. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then it, was, it, it, was, it was put behind me. All right, and so that begins your journey uh, into the to the IFA side. Uh, yeah. Let's call that the grey side. <laughs> The gray side of no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, so you you began the journey to the IFA side of things, and you you spent two years at this firm, at this new firm, the the firm that you yeah, you were I think with. it was about I think it was about two and a half years. Yeah, yeah, I think about two and a half years. About October sixteen, yeah. I moved on to to LJ Financial Plan. I moved on to the network. Had a bit more confidence in my ability to generate clients. Yeah, knew what I was talking about. Had a little bit of credibility with obviously a few more exams. Uh, and it's a, it was a really, really good supportive company. Yeah. Um, the, again, there was further support with exams within within the network. Really good support around the power plan and the administration side. So it was a really good move for me to move to, to that, net, net, that network. And then you, you, <clears throat> you 
made the decision a few years later to become a directly authorized company, which added happened sort of 2019. And then, um, you know, you made, uh, I I used to think that I I made a good use of lockdown uh, for a business, Mm. but you made an incredible use of, you put lockdown to, to a good use by bringing no camel so if if anyone's looking for this uh you you should this is n-o-k-a-m-o uh this bra- branding yeah. uh firm to to come in and help you with the with the with the trans transformation of of the business and 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 i can say that because like the 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 website the brand is so refreshing um you know you got you and the team members uh very approachable light color really good work well done thank you so tell us about light side today the the business so give us a sense of uh how the the team is structured in terms of ownership the advisors the the advice mm-hmm. and and the support and then yeah. we're going to talk a little bit about the clients and then we'll okay. talk about you give us some metrics to understand uh you know the, the position in terms of revenue AUM all, all those sort of metrics just to to give us a a good picture of lifestyle financial planning the uh, firm today. yeah okay so so the the two shareholders myself and Vicky Vicky's the other the other co-director uh, we're, we're, we're partners at home as well we've got ah. children so I'm 60 percent she's 40 percent so that that comes with its own challenges at a time but Ultimately, it works quite well. Um, I'm kind of the more risk-taking. I'm the more driven one. Vicky's the more kind of compliant. So what could go wrong? Have you thought about this? So it keeps me in my, in my place a little bit. So we've been, the, we've been the founders and the directors since day one. Uh, we're a small team at the moment. But obviously, we're in, we're in probably the best position we've been in in the seven years of trading. So we're into, mm-hmm. into our seventh year now. Uh, we've moved offices. We were in an office for the first six years, literally five minutes down the road. But we've moved into a new, more modern office. It's a, an office called Liverpool Road Studios, which is a big modern co-working space. We've got a couple of offices in here. There's two restaurants downstairs. There's a gym oh. in here. There's a yoga studio. It oh. just fits our brand. It just fits the culture of our of our company. At the minute, we're a, a, a team of five. So there's myself and Vicky. I'm the only financial planner at the moment, which I'll come back to that in a minute. We've got James. Uh, is our, our tech one of our technical assistants. He's a junior power planner. We've got Cameron who joins us about six months ago. He's a graduate. He's just been traveling for six weeks. He's just come back. Right. So he's a um, he's a service assistant, but he's kind of he's keen to progress to a technical assistant, junior paraplan, then onto a paraplaner. We've got a senior paraplaner who's based over in Preston, Rachel, who comes into the office one day a week. And at the minute, it's kind of that's working quite well. We were a slightly bigger team, but coming out of the Wild program with Michelle, when you kind of clarify the roles and responsibilities and you mm. start aligning all the processes. Mm. And you get really, really slick with you and efficient with your processes. Mm. We're, we're sitting at a, as a smaller team than we've probably ever been, but we're actually more efficient and we're more profitable than we ever have been. I was actually inspired, Abraham, at your timeline, um, the time that advisor changed 2.0. I actually attended the the solo million pound practitioner. Yes, yeah. I think they had, there's a couple of advisors in there which were really, really interesting. And Vicky was sitting next to me. She was like nudging me, going, "This could be you. This is you. This is the way to go." <laughs> I'm a little bit torn, really, because I'm thinking part of me really wanted to grow the business. Mm. And obviously, we've tried and we've failed. And and we've not failed. It's just I put too much pressure on myself to grow the business. Mm. Mm. So I think at the minute, we're sitting at about 100 million funds under management. We bought the business last year. Sorry, carry on. So we're not quite at the million. It's okay. We're not quite at the million pound turnover as of yet. I think this year, we'll probably do about 900,000. But we're back. We're back looking for another advisor. So there's an there was an advert put onto LinkedIn for an associate financial planner. We've had really good interest. We've had a, a couple of chartered financial planners apply. We just needed to be the right person with the right culture and the right values because we have got some clients that we can provide to them. But we want somebody who can kind of give really really good outcomes to clients. I think for us, there's a we, we just need to make sure it's the right person because if this is the right person for this next role, we get the, the right associate planner we will then look to build a stronger support team around myself and another financial planner. Because I think the, the main aim is I spend a lot of time working in the business rather than on the business. Mm. And that's the risk. If I stay as a solo uh, solo practitioner, the support team is great. The processes are great. 
and we're getting more and more inquiries and the, the, the right type of inquiries coming from clients. We're getting referrals from accountants, referrals from solicitors, referrals from existing clients. We've got a pretty big client base. We've got about 500 households that we look after. So a lot of advisors would say, well, how the hell do you look after 500, 500 clients? But we do it in a way that we've got a really good support team with really good processes. Uh, we've embraced the technology a lot. But as we're kind of onboarding more of a, the higher net worth clients, there's obviously a lot more work that goes in. We want to be delivering better service to them. We're reaching a point where we'll probably cap out. I think if we hit the million pound turnover, that'll probably be our cap. Um, so I think if we start to recruit now, which we are doing, I think that'll just take us to that next level. And I think the other main thing that changed is I've taken a bit of pressure off myself and the fact that we don't have to grow a million miles an hour. When you slow down and kind of take the pressure off and you make it a bit more enjoyable again, that organic growth just starts to naturally kind of happen. And that's the position that we're in this, this, this at the moment. When we moved from the other office to this one, which was only about six months ago, now we've got the team as we want it and the processes are really, really good. We're in a really, really strong position at the moment. So it's uh, probably a good time to do the podcast. It's incredible, incredible, Sean. And in my eyes, you you are a million pound solo practice today. That's what you are. Now, you I know you said people say this to me. I know you say I haven't quite we haven't quite hit a million yet. But that's yeah. because you're looking backwards. You're looking my revenue in this 12 month period gone. I am looking yeah. forward. I look at this in terms of run rate. So I say if you took your revenue in the month of um, November or October or the last three months and you average it and then you multiply by 12, i.e. Yeah. looking forward, you are a million pound uh, uh, practice. So con congratulations. Yeah. I know you want it to be in the, uh, what do you call this, um, in the, when you do the financial statements and all that stuff. <laughs> that That's yeah. the way our minds play tricks on us. But yeah. congrats uh my friend on what is an incredible achievement you know seven years uh from when you 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 started the business i know you'd been an advisor previous to that but just just amazing incredible well done thank you abraham so talk to me about how you think about the the, the breakdown of that revenue uh, across the team so you know i don't know if you were on the on the uh, uh, webinar with brad davison we were talking about about this particular uh, next phase that you're about to go to which is growing and bringing in a, a servicing advisor as we refer to it so that it frees yeah. you up to do what you do best which is uh, actually uh, you know getting more clients you are uh, in incredibly good good at that side of things but talk to me about how you divvy up the the revenue broadly in terms of um you know remuneration for the advice or, or yeah. um operational cost and then profit operation and overhead and then profit at the at the bottom just high level broadly speaking how do yeah, you or how so do you think about it yeah, so it's an interesting one. It's obviously something. So again, until the Wow program, we didn't kind of really pay a huge amount to 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 the, the balance, the balance sheet, because ultimately mm. we were very very profitable at the start. It was four. Mm. I was just bringing in a loads of initial fees, mm. loads of initial fees. Costs were really low. It's like mm. we're just making loads of money. This is great. But obviously, as you kind of grow, it suddenly becomes more about the recurring income and less about mm. the initial fees. Mm. For the previous years, I've very much been about reinvest, reinvest, spend money on the rebrand, spend the money on, on new technology, new software, let's buy clients, let's buy a business. So the acquisition that we made last year was actually just paid for uh, as cash out of the business. We had we, we'd right. accumulated enough cash to, to buy a, an additional business. But then obviously, we, I think within the last six to 12 months, we've gone a little bit stricter now. We've said, okay, we're just spending money like it's going out of fashion. We know we're profitable. We have the accountants who does the accountants every, every quarterly. But we don't really kind of go, are we wasting money on things that we don't really need? So we started mm. paying less on leads. We reduced our IO licenses down. We had a review of our technology. And I know Brett Davidson says a third, a third, a third. He says a third yeah, of profit, yeah. Uh, yeah. a third, obviously, to your, uh, for yourself and a third for your support team. We, we kind of use that as a bit of a benchmark. But we typically, when we're kind of doing well, uh, when, when we're on top of our costs, we'd probably look around about a 40% net profit. 
Obviously, it's at the minute we're extremely profitable when it's just me because I don't particularly pay myself a high salary. Vicky doesn't pay herself a high salary. So we do have a lot of retained profit in the business. But again, it depends whether the focus is to be a lifestyle business. If it stays mm. as just me, somebody said, well, why don't you just pay yourself a lot more and, and just enjoy yourself or put, or put uh, quite a lot into the pensions? But there's always this view to go, well, isn't it better to reinvest and grow and grow? And Vicky, Vicky asked me one day, what, what is it you're trying to achieve? Where's this ceiling? At what point will you be content of when you've kind of, <laughs> when is enough enough? And, and it was a really good question she asked me a couple of years ago because I was a complete workaholic and it was probably driving myself into the ground. Now mm. I've taken that pressure off to go, we're only going to grow if we're enjoying ourselves. Yeah. So ultimately, if it stays as me and it's me and a support team, is it fun? Are we, having, are we enjoying ourselves? Are we giving good outcomes to clients? But this is where we're thinking, if we get this associate planner, if it's the right person, obviously they've got, they're going to have loads of capacity, loads of availability. I think that growth is going to happen even without trying. Um, I know that was quite a long answer, but kind of gives you a bit of an idea where we kind of sit at the moment. But we're, we've always been profitable. I think we've been profitable every single year, including during the pandemic. We do reinvest a lot of our profits. We're even more profitable at the minute with just a small team, but we're looking to kind of we're looking to go again. We're almost ready for for stage three point out now. Yes, no, that's incredible. And just to I, I want to get a sense of how you're thinking about this next phase of bringing in uh, a new advisor. So this is actually the central theme of uh, Brett's paper. Uh, which mm. is titled, I think, so, so, Solving the Scale Problem in Financial Planning Business. But the way Brett thought about this is that when you think about bringing in a, an associate advisor, what mm. you should do, rather than the traditional approach, which is like give them a few leads and get them to go and find their own clients, which they're no good at, you know, what he suggested mm. was to essentially give them uh, or, or assign to them and the team, of course, with the help of the team, you know, your yeah. bottom two thirds of clients. So let's say from your, yeah. I'm going to just say it, a million pound recurring or re revenue, you give them yeah. uh, the, the bottom two thirds, which will probably account for more like 50% of the revenue. You pay them yeah. a fixed salary, yeah. you know, whatever that figure looks like in, in Messi's side, 60 grand would be a decent, I don't know, you know, maybe they, they're yeah. looking for more. And what that does is it frees you up to have capacity to actually take on newer, bigger, higher quality clients yeah. rather than the traditional approach of sending uh, often uh, a lesser experienced advisor to go find mm. clients which they don't, uh, you know, they, they probably haven't mastered the way you have. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Well, that, that, that's exactly our thoughts. That We kind of know that from Michelle, that it should be a team approach. It's not my client or the, or the other advisor, mm. but they're light mm. side client. Mm. And we mm. changed that approach about 18 months ago. We actually now have somebody in every single meeting. Now, so if I have a discovery call or if we have a review meeting, where possible, whether it's a video call or in person, we always try and have one of the other team members in because as soon as the meeting is over, they'll update mm. the fact find, they'll update the client. If the client rings the office, they're not kind of saying, I want Sean, I want Sean. We had that for the first four years. Clients were ringing my mobile, they were emailing mm. me, they all they wanted was, was me. So that mm. whole approach has definitely come that if it's a team approach, we already started to give some clients to the previous advisor. We were transferring some of them across, some clients from the acquisition to free my time up. The, the previous advisor decided to move on now for, for, for his own reasons. So I think we're, we're very much still with that same focus. So our view very much is get an associate planner. We have got clients available. We're going to have them sitting in on the meetings with me. So it's obviously it can, it can kill two birds with one stone to say, because yeah, some clients don't like it where suddenly a new advisor rings them and they're like, oh, uh, what, what's happened to Sean? Whereas if you do it as a warm handover, we do it together. They've met the other associate planner. I'll say, oh, listen, uh, I've taken on this new person. If I'm ever not available, you've got both of us available. So very much what you're what you're saying there, just gradually start to free my time, but let clients know that I'm still there in the background. That's that's incredible stuff. So let, let's talk about the, the client proposition. So you have this thing on the website, it jumps at you, uh, this theme around life changes, right? So, you yeah. know, talk to me a little bit about what that's designed to do. 
Yeah, so life changes is ultimately, we use Voyant, we use cash flow forecasting, um, but rather than just being, oh, it is a forecast, you're not going to run out of money, we make mm. it very, very interactive. So we bring, so anytime there's a life-changing event, because you could have a client and just say, here you go, you've got this final salary, you've got this state pension, you've got a rental property income, here's your plan, you've got enough money to lay your 100, goodbye, we're never going to speak again. That's mm. kind of like, well, you, you don't want that, because life gets in the way. So as life gets in the way and all these curveballs come through, we're in a position to kind of almost kind of create these what-if scenarios. So we kind of focus on when we start our, our, our journey as a client is we do a discovery call, which is typically on a video call for 30 minutes, and it just tell me about you. We let them do all the talking. We wait for those multiple decision-making choices to come through. Can I afford to retire? Should they retire this time? Should they go part-time? Should they pay off my mortgage? Should they do this? By the end of that first discovery call, you will usually have at least three to five should I questions. And that's mm. what obviously the plan is about. So we charge a flat fee for a financial plan. We build a very, very basic cash flow with them. So it's quite interactive. They can almost see it being built. So I said to you before about it being light side, we want to show the value as early as possible. We'll do a free discovery call. The clients mm -hmm. will then come in for a face-to-face -face meeting, which is an exploration meeting. If we both think we can add value and we both think it's worthwhile proceeding, we build a very, very basic plan there and then, but we kind of we, we link it to those questions. So they walk away. If they don't become a client, they walk away having received a lot of value. And I know mm. some firms and some advisors wouldn't want to do that because they're kind of giving too much away. We're very much of the opinion that, okay, we show the value first, build the trust as early as we can, but then we, but then we create an element of doubt. We kind of say, okay, things are looking good now, but what if the markets were to crash? What if you get made redundant from work? What if you lose a loved one? What if one of you die? Because ultimately, those life-changing events, what if you get divorced? There's all these life-changing events, and it's not to scare them. It's just to be totally, totally prepared. There's no point having a plan in place and, and not then creating any what-if scenarios. So that's uh, that's kind of where that life-changes um, system comes from, or that life-changes service comes from. Wonderful stuff. So so they pay a flat fee for the, for, for the initial plan. And then what does the ongoing yeah. fees, uh, as, by the way, what, what's the flat fee? And then what does the ongoing... Uh, yeah, so the flat fee we charge two and a half thousand. So two and a half right. thousand pounds is for the, for the, the plan fee. Mm -hmm. That re re includes a review of up to four plans. If there are any, any additional plans, so somebody might have eight policies, we can then agree and we can negotiate a higher fee or if there's a higher level of complexity. But most of the time we'll charge a flat fee of two and a half thousand. That includes a full report, a full volume plan, several scenarios the benefit of that is it removes the conflict to move any policies that don't need moving so we yeah. might look at it and go all those pensions are absolutely great or they've got a workplace pension mm. we also have the scenario where it might be a client who's a, a a property portfolio landlord there's no investable wealth there's no pensions they've referred by the accountant some advisors would look at that and go well there's nothing to invest so if i charge three percent on what they invest how do i get a fee Mm. But we charge the flat plan fee, and again, it's all about showing the value. So it's two and a half thousand pounds. Here's the plan fee, but we assess on the discovery call whether there's enough questions they need answering that's going to be able to add that value. And it's not just a case of answering the question to say, "Oh yeah, I think you can retire." We answer the question with with some solid evidence. We kind of with a forecast, with a bit of an estimate, and we build some structure around it, linking it to the risk profile, the capacity for loss. Do they need to take more risk? Obviously. The other thing that I've not mentioned as well, I did the financial coaching course with Catherine Morgan. Yeah. So the big thing I always throw into those meetings is, okay, what's holding you back? Tell me more about your relationship with money. So some of them will be big spenders and don't care about if they've got enough to retire. Some of them will be, will be terrified and they're going to die with too much money. And usually husbands and wives are totally different. So when they come in, if there is a little bit of hesitancy of kind of going, oh, I don't know if I wanted to proceed or I don't know to pay the two and a half grand plan fee. They're not seeing the value, but sometimes they can see the value, but their relationship with money is quite is quite scarce. So there's like, oh, I, I don't want to spend that two and a half grand. I can do it myself. So we try and kind of get an understanding. Said, oh, what what is your earliest memory of money? So there's there's little tips and there's little things that have got becoming a certified financial coach, just to go that one step further, just to really get that deep understanding of their relationship with money. That's incredible stuff. So, so you mentioned what you use on the sort of uh, planning uh, side of things. What do you do? What What other tools are in your in your toolbox in terms of back office uh, system, uh, platform, um, you know, portfolio analytics tools, uh, analysis tools? Um, yeah. What else? Risk profiling. 
what else am I thinking about? Investment process. What else is in that toolbox um, yeah, behind so, the scenes? So we've spent a lot, again, a lot of time going through the process to make things that bit slicker. Was trying to and make ourselves more profitable was to kind of wipe some things out that we weren't using. Obviously, timeline uh, definitely get a big mention in that. Ah. And there was no, uh, there was no, there was no pun or no, no, no payments, no, no backhander for that one. But since we started using timeline, we've um, it's massively helped. So we still use FE, so we use FE analytics as our as our main investment uh, fund research. Uh, timeline, so we only got one FE license. We used to have two, so we've we've reduced one of our FE licenses because we know we can do a lot of fund research within the timeline uh, software. We were using previous risk profile questions we've used before. We've used e-value. We've used Morningstar. We've used um, the portfolio metrics. We've used portfolio metrics as well as our more bespoke DFM. We were using their risk profile, but again, we've, we've started using yours. So in the last probably six to 12 months, a lot of it is integrated through you guys. So your risk profile questionnaire, we're mostly using your evidence-based timeline tracker portfolios. We use FE to make those comparisons with everything else. And that just made things so much slicker, so much more streamlined in regards to the, the, the technical team knowing what they're doing. Really, really good outcomes for clients because nine times out of 10, probably more, 9.9 times out of 10, charges are lower, performance is better, and it's just a no-brainer to kind of recommend, obviously, going into the timeline uh, tracker portfolios. Plus, the, the process to get from A to B is really, really simple. So we'll kind of do a discovery call on, on Teams. They'll then come in and see us. We'll then use Voyant to build a, a basic cash flow plan to kind of show that value. Once they've bought in, they're in for a, for a financial plan fee. Then send all the authority letters off to the providers. When the information comes back, we then start our research on their existing plan. So we'll use FE for cost comparisons, look at reduction in yield. We'll use FE to obviously look at their existing uh, holdings. We then obviously use Timeline as a risk profile questionnaire. Other than that, that's kind of our, our main setup. We use intelligence officers as our, as our back office uh, uh, software. Mm. Um, and that's pretty much it. That's kind of probably, in a nutshell, is our main, our main uh, software tech stack. That's incredible stuff. So, um, uh, you know, you, it's kind of clear what the, the next step is, which is you've done all this hard work to, you know, position the business uh got to a million of revenue thereabouts um you're now bringing in uh the the associate advisor so we're sitting here in five years time mm -hmm. describe uh light, light light side uh financial planning to me what does the firm look like what do you spend your time doing all that yeah, good question. We've actually done a 2030 vision as part oh, of the Oh, wow. Wildfire. I like that. This is my kind of guy. Yes, I like yeah, that. So Tell me. We, a 20, we did a 2030 vision and we worked it backwards. Yeah. So 2030 vision will take me to age 50. Um, ah. I think ultimately what, what does kind of the, and it's not the end goal, but ultimately a business that runs without me needed in it. So mm. at the minute, obviously, a lot of the hard work's been done in the first seven years. I'm now trying to build a team, processes, a culture where I can travel more. So I'm still the the CEO, I'm still the founder, I'm still the director, but ultimately just gradually, I just kind of do, I'm needed less and less within the business. Within the 2030 vision, we'd actually said buy a business every other year. So we bought one last year. So we'll probably start to kind of do a little bit of research and I'll start speaking to some brokers. Are there any businesses for next year that are looking to, to, to be acquired? We want those businesses to be fairly small. The last mm -hmm. one we acquired was about 25 million. Mm -hmm. So 25 to 50 million would be nice. We, we bought the last one with our own money, so a little bit of private equity investment or some kind of fundraising to get that next uh, that next business bought. So that would potentially be one next year, which is 2024, one in 2026, um, and, obviously, and then we keep going to 2030. Now, we might reach a point where we cap, but ultimately we then need to obviously recruit additional planners to kind of service those clients, additional support staff. We have got an office in Preston at the moment, but it's not really being used much. So I think for us, the vision had said, do we look for a, a broader presence to get a bit broader in the Northwest? Do we then potentially have a national presence by 2030? Um, one of the big things was the uh, staff wellbeing. So wellbeing is, is just as important as profits for us. So staff are happy, staff are enjoying working here. They get a good work-life balance. We've already made a start with that. We've actually reduced now down to a four and a half day week. So the guys actually finish at one o'clock on a Friday and they've got flexi time between Monday to Thursday. 
we did we did debate doing a four-day week. The problem is, we, because we're such a small team at the moment, we probably can't quite accommodate a four-day week around, obviously, the amount of staff we've got and the amount of clients. So getting that ratio right, it might be on the agenda that we go to a four-day week at some point in the future. The office that we're in at the moment will probably be too small as we grow. So we'd either keep this and take on additional offices within the building, or we'll probably look to move to a bigger premises. But again, it all comes at a cost. Um, but yeah, these are all things that are in the 2030 vision. I'll be traveling more. I will not be needed. We'll have a practice manager. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of it. Just But the key thing is, Abraham, is making sure we enjoy it. Running a business can get really stressful and get really lonely at times. So um, I think the key thing for us is for me to just keep reining myself in. And one of the ways of doing that is I've just done a, a level four um, meditation course or a level right. four, it's called an embodied excellence course. So the, the guys that were on, it was always like loads of people who were kind of, what do they do to kind of relax and to kind of de-stress? So that was really, really useful thing to do. Um, I do a lot more jujitsu. I've started taking up jujitsu now. I've started learning guitar. Do you still DJ? Do you still DJ for fun? No, I, I don't. Ah. I don't DJ, but I, I've got I've got decks and I've got vinyl in the back garage, so I could get them back out again. But I don't ah. DJ. But I've started learning guitar. I've started jujitsu. Um, I think all these things that kind of keep me occupied. So I'm not obsessed about work in the business. <laughs> When I'm less obsessed about the business and growing the business, the business seems to grow more because I think yeah. I think it's not my huh. be all and end all. So I think I spend more time huh. with Vicky and the children, more time kind of on on me and my well being means the business runs a lot smoother, which is the big main change that we brought in. Wonderful, wonderful stuff, Sean. Um, it's been uh, just incredibly energizing for me listening to your story i am incredibly um you know respectful of what you've what you've accomplished and what you're building so thank you very much for sharing your journey for sharing your 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 vision uh you know for sharing the, the times that things didn't quite go as 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 planned and i mm. i i am i feel so privileged to be to play a small part that we play a small part uh, a timeline on, on the journey that you you you're on i'll be rooting for you uh, you know for for what comes next my friend uh thank you and um and um yeah good luck with 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 everything thank you for having me Abraham. it's been really really nice to meet you That's a wrap on today's show. Massive, massive thanks to my production crew, especially Jake Osha, Melissa Canham, and the entire team. And of course, to our sponsor, Timeline, the market leading provider of integrated planning technology and model portfolio service to advisors. I do hope you've enjoyed today's show. Head over to Apple Podcast and give us your review there. Until next time, goodbye.